What's up, guys? Welcome back to the 307 Podcast and episode number two of the Origin Series. During this episode, me and Brooke go through our memory of, I guess, the time span that I went through. Uh, got into the Navy the second time, uh, went all the way through SEAL training, uh, all the s- stories that we can think of coming from that time frame all the way up to the point that uh, I graduate buds and go into SQT. So this was a fun conversation. I talk a lot uh, about my experiences and uh, uh, coming up on the next episode of The Origins, uh, you'll get to hear a lot more from Brooks. So I hope you enjoy these stories. It was cool to go back and, and think and talk through them. Uh, if you guys are enjoying these Origins episodes, just let me know. And, uh, and we'll keep hard after it. If you don't mind, stop and leave us a review on iTunes uh, or uh, share this episode with someone you think would enjoy listening to it. We really appreciate it. We depend on you guys to grow uh, the 3 of 7 podcast. You guys are the body of it. We can't do it without you. And uh, we definitely want to see it reach the people that it needs to reach. So we appreciate that. This episode was brought to you by... Wazoo Survival Gear. To according to Wazoo Survival Gear, 2.6 million years ago, our ancestors figured out that stone tools increased their capabilities. The tools have changed, but the same holds true in our modern lives. Tools increase capability. More capability gives you more options. More options gives you the freedom to choose what you want to do and where you want to go. And this is what Wazoo does. They've stepped in and they've designed really cool wearable survival gear that increases your capabilities, not only in day-to-day life, but also in the wilderness. We use this stuff out on the basic course. Uh, I use it personally every time I'm in the wilderness on a mission of any sort. Some of my favorite gear they make is, obviously, you've heard me talk about the Bushcraft Necklace. It is a fire-starting device. Uh, I also love their cash cap, their cash belt, and they even the other day I just got a cash beanie or a toboggan, whatever you call it, and uh, it functions similarly to the cash cap. They make adventure kits and survival kits of uh, all these different components that you can store in your cash cap, your cash belt, or whatever, and, uh, and it's wearable, and it in- does significantly increase your capability. So check out Wazoo Survival Gear at wazoosurvivalgear.com. I'll attach the link to their website in the show notes of this episode. They've given us a pro code, 20% off all their products, 3 of 7, the number 3 of the number 7, all caps. Thank you, Wazoo Survival Gear, for sponsoring this episode of the 3 of 7 podcast and for making Such awesome gear. We love you guys. We love your products. All right, guys, that's enough housekeeping. Here is episode two of the Origin Series. Hope you enjoy it. All right, what's up, Bish? Good evening, good evening. You ready for episode two? Yeah, we just ate entirely too much food, so we're drinking our after-dinner tea. Gosh, your hair looks ridiculous. Look at the camera. It's not flipped over. I can't see myself. Oh my gosh! I forgot to flip it over. It's all good, man. We're at the we're in the house. We're not in the studio. You can have crazy hair in the house. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's all good. Um. Hey, everybody! Welcome back to part two of the origins episode. This is kind of a series that. Hold on. 
Sorry about that. This is a series that Brooke and I are doing, chronicling our journey. I don't like that word. Oh, she always says it better than me. It, I mean, we're, it's, it was fun. Last episode was a good time. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We promised you that Brooke would read one of the letters that she has that I wrote from I wrote to her while I was in boot camp, mm-hmm. maybe boot camp for the first time. So we went through them. Some of them were pretty rough. We picked one out here. Yeah, I got to tell y'all, <sighs> I have like probably 15 letters and I picked like three to start and he was like, no, we can't read that because he was being sweet. Like he was, you well, know. I mean, I think some of it I was being sweet, but some of it was, was pretty rough language and pretty rough talk too. I mean, that's the reality of who we used to be. Yeah. I mean, that's part of our story. Yeah. I wouldn't say it. Yeah. I would say explicit or we got, yeah, cause word we got here. young people that listen to this, but Without a doubt, it is wild to look back at. Not, I guess not wild, but to look back at the language I used to use. In my only, my language only got worse, worse from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a very lost person, you know, for a long, long time. And I don't even want to say I was a sinful person because I'm still a sinful person. I mean, we still, I still battle against sin and we ma- just, make mistakes in life. We weren't aware of what we were doing. You know what I mean? Like we thought we were living the best life and yeah. We had no clue what what the best life really was. Anyways. Yeah. Okay. And actually I just looked at the date on this <clears throat> and we've been together for longer than I thought. The date says October 28th, 2007. Yeah, sounds about I, I right. always talk about us meeting in 2007, but that's mm-hmm. not the case. No. Um, so I was off. But yeah, I'll read this. It says, hey, baby, it's me again. Should I, should I read it in your voice? No, just read it. Oh, okay. Uh, hey, baby, it's me again. It's Sunday morning over here in Great Lakes, Illinois, and it's colder than S outside. We get a few hours of free time this morning, but there ain't much to do around here. Last week was a rough week for me. I got all four of my wisdom teeth pulled out, plus one of my regular teeth, so I was laid up in bed Tuesday and Wednesday. It really sucked. Other than that, not much has been going on. We had a test on Thursday on first aid, military appearance, grooming, and naval ships and aircraft, and rank. Wow. I passed it with a pretty good score, so that's some good news. We also started working out this week with the SEALs here. We trained from 4.45 to 6.30 in the morning, six days a week, and the instructors push us pretty hard. It's good stuff, exclamation point. But this place still sucks, and I still miss you and think about you every day. I hope you haven't totally forgotten about me. I know you have probably been busy with your work in school. Brooke, I just wanted to remind you how special of a person you are and how proud I am to have a friend like you. A friend. I remember reading that like, what the crap? No matter what happens in my life or where this new job takes me, I will never forget you. Never is capitalized and underlined. You will always have a place in my heart. I've been waiting to hear back from you since I sent you a letter last Sunday. So I hope I can hear back from you this upcoming week. 
Getting mail is about the only thing I have to look forward to in this place other than graduation day. But I know you're doing all right. Hell, I don't know many folks tougher than you, so I don't worry about, I don't worry much about that. Well, baby, there ain't much more to tell you. This ain't a very exciting place. I don't want to ask you to go buy the, I did want to ask you to go buy the house for me sometime this week and check on everybody or maybe hang out with Blake and write me to tell me how everything is going around there. I really, I would really appreciate that. Well, I guess I'm going to use the rest of my free time catching up on some ironing and folding clothes. Fun, right? But I'm looking forward to hearing from you, baby. I still love you with all my heart. Be good. Love, Chad. P.S. Send me a picture if you got one. Well, that's a love letter right there. Son. I have to tell them about this one. You wouldn't let me read the whole thing. Um, but uh, it's really sappy. And then he drew a picture. I'm going to show it to the camera. He drew a picture, um, and it says, I love you so much, baby. I'll be home for Christmas, I think. So you better be ready to raise some hell and have fun. And then I got I to gotta show him this. Hold on. Well, while Brooke gets up and shows the camera my terrible drawing, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, that's pretty interesting because in the first letter that she read, I, I did mention that I would never forget about her, and that that turned out to be true. Because as you follow us through our story later on, years from this point, there was a time that I did try my best to forget about her, and I never could. And we'll get into that later on when we get there. That's quite a few years from where we are now in our timeline. Because mm -hmm. I think where we left off with the last episode was basically I was leaving for the second time to go back to Great Lakes. Uh, I had had my heart surgery and yeah, I was, I yeah. was headed out. And those letters kind of caught us through when you were in basic training, I was at home and I was going to technical college and working as a waitress and I was using, like, I remember that's one of the reasons why I didn't stay in college is because I would be having withdrawals or be really sick um, when I should be in class and I wasn't going. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, I don't know what, where would be the next best place to pick off? Well, I mean, I remember showing back up to Great Lakes and I didn't know where they were going to put me. This crap is it, such a weird, it's such a weird life that I've lived and I, I was thinking today, I wonder if that's why I don't worry about stuff as much as normal people hmm. or as much as some other people do because I'm so used, I was so used to literally just getting, just going, not knowing where I was going to sleep, what I was going to eat, what was coming, like had no clue. I yeah. mean, would literally sleep in a bed one night, they'd move us the next, I mean, it was just, that was my life for a long time. And even in the SEAL teams, it's the same way always moving and but i remember showing back up and uh, they ended up putting me 
in a with with a group and classifying me as a prior service guy because I had made it through boot camp. I had gra- mm-hmm. I made it to the last day of boot camp, technically graduated yeah. before they had um, determined I was disqualified to be a SEAL. Dang, did you have to go through boot camp the second time? No. Oh, uh, okay. So okay. they counted it. They counted the first time. So when I, sh- I didn't know that. When I left, though, to go back the second time, I didn't know if they were going to make me go through boot camp again oh, or not. <laughs> I bet that didn't feel good. So I literally just like show up to this place and have no clue if I'm going back through boot camp or, or what the heck's going to happen. I had no clue how long it was going to take because they let me come back in the Navy, but I didn't. I still didn't have a waiver that allowed me to go to BUDS. So didn't know how long that was going to take either. So they ended up putting me in a, a holding unit, another holding unit, and classified me as a NAVET or a veteran. And this was an open bay barracks. What that means to you guys that didn't serve in the military, it's just a big open room with a bunch of bunk beds in it. Um, the old the bunk beds I told y'all about that they friggin' lift up and it's got little space underneath them, and that's where you have to keep all the stuff that you have, all your clothes, your any possessions. Drawer. Yeah, it's a little little thing. And so there's like I don't know anywhere from. 50 to 75 dudes living in this open bay barracks. Ugh. And so I ease up in there. I figure I don't have to go to boot camp again. I find me a little bunk bed. And um, I remember, obviously, some of the guys that were in there were kind of in a similar scenario to me, David Charbonnet. He, you guys have probably heard him on the podcast. He was there? Mm-hmm. Dang, how did I not remember because that? Because was... David had gotten disqualified for his color vision. Mm. And he had to get out of the Navy and come back in with a waiver. Dang. So David was one of the first guys that I met, you know, when I came back in the Navy. And he was basically in the same shape that I was in. Um, So he's in this open bay barracks with me. Me and him hit it off and... Uh, I just remember sitting in, sitting in there one night, watching the outlaw Josie Wales, because we watched that uh, almost every night. We'd watch that movie. We had a little TV in there, and um, we kind of ran the place because not everybody in that open bay barracks was was going into like a special warfare rate. So we were like the alpha males in there so we we got to watch the movies that we wanted to watch oh okay and you, um, you were the bullies is what you're saying well i mean everybody just kind of left us alone and didn't ask questions we didn't bully anybody your letters said otherwise oh well anyways i remember sitting in there watching the outlaw josie wales with david and um and nate would have been in there too you you i won't say nate's last name because he might still be active duty but you remember had all the tattoos Wife was a boxer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I think he was in there too. We were sitting around, and here comes one night, here comes this freaking crazy dude that busts up in this open bay barracks in the middle of the night while we're sitting here watching Outlaw Josie Wales just chilling and starts being all loud and quoting our movie and just acting crazy. Guess who that was? 
Got a big old head. Did he live with us in San Diego? No, it was Aaron. I didn't. How come I didn't remember Aaron Evans was in there either? I guess I should say his last name. Oops. <laughs> yeah, he was. So he, he, me, me, and David, this. we were there, and then he busts in there. We're like, "Who is this freaking crazy cat, man?" And of course, he ends up becoming. You know, we end up becoming great friends, and um, the four of us, since we, because Aaron had went to Bud's previously, got injured, got out of the, went and did a, a, a deployment as a, as in the regular Navy. As a gunner's mate. As, yeah, and yeah. got out and then came back in. So this is, this is like a bunch of freaking misfits in this, um, in this holding unit, right? People like me that had been told no or had gotten injured or something like that. So we became fast friends and, um, yeah, we, we stayed together. All, all four of us actually stayed together the whole way through. We called ourselves the Four Horsemen, of course. And uh, we we started literally from day 1-1 one, one in that open bay barracks and went all the way through Buds and SQT together. So that's pretty cool. That is cool. Um, But, yeah, all we would do is we'd, we'd get up in the morning – We'd go down to the the little dive locker, and they had some instructors down there, former SEALs, former boat, or not former, they were active duty, but this was like a shore duty for them. SEALs, boat guys, one old salty senior chief down there that was ahead over the whole thing, SEAL senior chief, and they would just beat us all day long. I mean, we'd be treading water with bricks over our heads, and they'd halfway drown us, and We'd have to run and, I mean, just all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, and that was our day-to-day schedule while we were in this holding unit waiting for my – I was waiting for my waiver to come through, yeah. right? And there were other guys there too. Uh, you probably remember John uh, – you, you remember me talking about Connolly? Yeah. Um, big, tall, bald dude in there named Penwell. I know – I can't believe I remember all these was guys. It, was an old Red Sonia in there too? Mm. Red Sonia was there, man. So Red Sonia was this crazy chick that had done, she had done a bunch of dang testosterone or some kind of hormone, something. She was a freak, like ripped, looked like a dude, but she was a, it was a girl and she was trying to go, she had an EOD contract, so she wanted to go EOD and that was the first time in my life I had ever seen a girl what looked like that. Like a bodybuilder type, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But yeah, she slept around with everybody, you know. She she made her rounds. They eventually moved us out of that open bay barracks into a barracks where we each had an individual room. That was like moving from a from a single wide trailer to a freaking mansion to us. Yeah. Just because we had a little privacy. But I don't think Red Sonia made it. She was so dense with muscle, she couldn't swim. She just sank. Dang. Poor girl could not swim to save her life. So, those are some details from that time. Can we fast forward to you starting training? Because I know you're going to have a lot you want to talk about, about BUDS and SQT. I can't think of anything significant happening. Well, I, well, I mean, I sat in, in there for 
for a while, and finally, I got the waiver. Yeah. From the dive medical officer, the same dive medical officer that disqualified me, ended up getting my paperwork. Really cool. And giving me the waiver to then proceed with training. Mm -hmm. They did a whole medical journal on this case. It's like a multiple pages in a Navy medical journal. I've posted it on Instagram before. And then we started pre-buds. So me, Aaron, David, and Nate, we all classed up in pre-buds together. That was another two months of just hard physical training, but it wasn't it wasn't like beatings like we were getting while we were in the holding unit. They were just toying with us. Like I remember one of the instructors coming to the barracks one night, calling everybody out and like putting everybody in a leaning rest and coming by and like he had a bottle of maple syrup for some reason and he was pouring it all over people's heads and Ugh. Yeah. I mean it was like hazing type stuff. Yeah. But once we got into pre buds a lot of the instructors were civilian instructors, uh, former SEALs, former special ops guys, but also former professional athletes and, and collegiate runners and swimmers and all this. So it was more instructional-type training. Mm -hmm. And that's where I met Tubbs at. Yeah. Y'all have heard about Tubbs yeah. on, um, on the podcast. Well, y'all, I hope y'all have listened to his episodes. And me and Tubbs roomed together. So we moved again into another barracks when we started pre-buds. Me and Tubbs roomed together. And, man, we just we just trained every day, all day. And at the end of the day, we'd go up the road and get a dang deep dish pizza, one for each of us, and crush it. And I actually got Honor Man of, pre, of the pre-buds class. I remember the, that. Uh, the Hard Charger Award. That's what I was about to yeah. say. The hard your mom is your mom still has that award by the way mm -hmm. the hard charger award. I was just so happy to be there, like I was so motivated every single day in uh, in pre buds that you know yeah I was pumped. I mean I performed well there. Well, and like you said, how different would that motivation have been if if you didn't have to go through? Oh, there's no way I would have appreciated that the yeah. opportunity to be there, yeah. Um, without without everything. Now back then we were still to technically together. We were apart, but we talked on the phone and you know this and that. But yeah, you got some freedom when you went. I remember we could talk more, and you it, it wasn't so like we weren't writing letters anymore. And I came and visit. I know at yeah. least once. Yeah, you came out and visited one yeah. time. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot more freedom of movement in pre-buds. It was finally like the first, my first experience in my, in my Navy career up to that point where I didn't feel like I was in a prison. Yeah. So that was really cool. We graduated pre-buds and... A lot of great instructors there. A lot of good times there. Got we were. That's probably the most fit I've ever been in my life. Well, it's a different type of fitness. And then the next step from there was we. Uh, then I had my orders to go to buds. What'd that feel like? Did they walk up to you and hand them to you? Like you got to stare at it? Yeah, yeah. We had paper copies of them, and you know it said report to. You know, Naval Special Warfare Training Center in Coronado. and 
So were there a lot of, um, you said some of the guys at Prebuds were former, former SEALs. Was there a lot of like mystery around what you guys were about to go do or did they tell you about everything or did they say, oh, you just wait till day 23 and just, I mean, like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, were no, there, were that, there f- that, that, that training was really, was really technically focused. In other words, it was more learning how to run properly, learning how to lift properly, learning how to swim. Okay, let me rephrase my question then. What preconceived notions did you have about what Bud's was going to be like when you were going in? completely blind i didn't have many preconceived notions at all i mean you you heard you had kind of heard rumors of of you know different evolutions like the beehive and um you know things here and there about hell week but i I really didn't i don't remember having any because the idea around that the national or maybe it's history channel there's a bunch of channels now that have like gone to Bud's classes and videoed the whole thing and like somebody now going in can know exactly what they're signing up for. Well they can think they know. Yeah. It's there's no way to freaking know without experiencing it. But did you that nobody filled you in on like what was gonna happen or the schedule like you were going in just ready for whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's the best way that I can remember it. Yeah. Um, I got those orders and I don't think there's anything else. I don't, I don't want to rush through this cause we're not in any hurry, but yeah, I don't think a lot of the relationships and people you met along the way is really important or engaging in the story. Yeah, you know what I mean? That's true. I mean, it's cool for you and me to talk about. Maybe but. it will be one in 15 years when Blakely listens to it or something. But, <laughs> um, but yeah. I had bought, while I was in pre-buds, I had bought a S10 truck. I got a loan for it, went out and bought it. So I had me a vehicle. Thank God. And you had the option, when you when you got your orders to Bud, you had to go from Great Lakes, Illinois to oh, yeah. Coronado. So you had the option, if you had a car, you could drive. And so I had my truck, and I drove from Great Lakes, Illinois. I literally just, uh, I had one of the old, you know, I didn't have an iPhone back then. I had an old one of the old TomTom Garmin GPS. Garmin GPS things in there, and I just punched in San Diego. Man, y'all are talking about a cat like me that had, been on an airplane twice in his life, really been to two places, North Georgia and, and Alabama. Uh, yeah. And, and Florida, um, Chicago where we did boot camp. Yeah. I mean, out of, outside the Southeast and yeah, take off in this old S 10 head West and show up to Coronado. Wait, I remember only one thing from that trip. And I remember, (laughs) I don't know if you remember this. I was so concerned that you were going to stop in Vegas and like cheat on me or like hook up with somebody. I don't know. I don't remember what I was thinking exactly. I just remember being like jealous. Yeah. And I remember like 
I wanted to make sure you didn't stop in Vegas. Like you stopped on the outskirts and all this. Yeah. And like later on, of course, we found out you did because you wanted to see it. But that's just funny to think about like the mentality we had at that age, you know. Oh, man. Jealousy was huge back then. We were both very jealous. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. For sure. It was an unhealthy relationship. Yeah. Without a doubt. I don't remember much at all about that trip. Really nothing stands out to me other than long days of driving. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd literally drive from daylight to dark and then get a hotel. And When I got to San Diego, I don't even, I, I guess I just went straight to the quarter deck at, at Bud's and checked in because I didn't have a place to stay. And checked in and started Indoc indoctrination <laughs> and that's where we get um you know you get your helmets and your your all your i say all your gear it's very minimal gear you get issued at buds set of fins couple uniforms boots wetsuit you know very basic gear and we started in doc you know and there's so much about buds that I don't, I don't really recall. I don't, I don't know. I guess that's so much about first phase that I don't recall. It was almost like a, I don't know. It's, it's not even saying it was a blur. I don't even know if it's the right word. The first thing I remember in Indoc is going out for a swim in the San Diego Bay. And Indoc is a, is, it's a few weeks of training that you go through before you class up and start first phase. But it's very similar to first phase. You're doing the same type of things. But going out in this bay, nasty freaking water, it flows in, you know, from Tijuana, and it's just cold. I'm talking about cold as mess. And I remember just being like, holy smokes, man. This water is cold. And you know, I, I I don't know what I don't know what to say about first phase. <laughs> well, let's just leave it at that and move on. Yeah. What was next? I mean I mean, I don't think you have to go on a long drawn out explanation of each. Yeah, no. I mean, I remember having that little I remember having one of them little cell phones that did like this that like flipped up like this yeah <laughs> with the I key, remember, keypad you can yeah, type with your I remember thumb. calling you on that sometimes and I think for me the scariest p- place in first phase was uh they called it the combat training tank the CC uh the combat CTT combat training tank it was the swimming pool they don't call the swimming pool a swimming pool they call it a combat training tank of course and you know, that place right there, man, was scary as mess. Uh, yeah, 50-meter underwater swim, drown-proofing, all that stuff you guys know, have heard about buds. It's real. Explain drown-proofing. Obviously, the 50-meter swim is kind of self self. Yeah, drown-proofing is you, they tie, you tie your hands and feet up, and then they put they drop you in the pool that pool's like 15 feet deep your hands go behind your back hands are tied behind your back and your okay. feet are tied up together 
Yeah, and you just have to you have to bob, so you have to get a breath of air, then you have to blow the air out, sink to the bottom of the pool, kick off the bottom, come up and get another breath, and you just you have to do that until they tell you to get out. No, thank you. For a long, I mean, sometimes they have you doing it for a while, and then a lot of times too, they'll they'll drop something at the bottom of the pool, like a dive mask, like a pair of goggles or something, and they'll make you go down there and get it with your mouth, and bring it back up and keep it in your mouth. So then, not only are you trying to, you got to go down there, get that thing, kick off the bottom, come up, but then you're trying to take a breath while you're holding something in your teeth. And your hands and feet are tied behind your back. It gives me anxiety just listening to it. Yeah, I mean, what was like? What was it like the first time? Did did anyone fail the first time? Oh yeah, people freak out, man. Yeah, people would freak out. I mean, because it's it's all about staying calm. Anything in the water is just one hundred percent staying calm. Yeah, none of it physically is that difficult. It's so it's so mental, you know. Yeah. Um, but. It was it was surreal to be there. You know, it really was. Uh, yeah. So that's first phase. And tell me what first phase... I don't remember. Tell me real quick, just so I can ask proper questions, how it went. Like, give me the breakdown. First phase. First phase. And then Hell Week was the end of first phase. Okay. I remember, I remember calling mom... I think mom was the first person I called when I finished Hell Week. Yeah. I think she has a picture of me that I had sent to her right well, basically after you finish Hell Week, they bring you in a they bring everyone in a room that made it through and they they bring you pizza and you got to sit there and they have to monitor you um for a couple of hours just to make sure you're like not going to die. And um after they after they they're like okay, this this guy's freaking stable. Then they let you go back to your barracks room. Mm-hmm. And all the people that are in buds that had been rolled, so they were in holding. There's a there's a whole crew of people in 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 that facility there that have been rolled and they're waiting to class up again. I, they called them scrubs. They were called scrubs. Or no, scruffs. They're called scruffs. <laughs> My bad. They're called scruffs. And um, so the scruffs had went into our barracks and they had moved all of our mattresses off of our bunk beds onto the floor because we were so beat up and, and exhausted that we they you can't even get in a step up and get in a bunk bed. And if you was to roll out of it, it would probably freaking kill you. Let's let's break that down. Let's talk about Hell Week and what it entailed and how'd you get that way. I mean, what I'm trying to think of the best questions to start with. What well, what was the hardest part that you remember? The hardest part of Hell Week? Yeah. I know you don't remember a lot of it. You know, I, I really, for me, Hell Week didn't, Hell Week, I don't want to say it was manageable, but it was like, to me, in a way, it was easy because, yes, it was absolutely miserable and they push you to nearly to the point of death, but 
there are no performance standards during Hell Week. All you have to do is keep going and not quit. Okay. That's all you have to do. And that's pretty easy for me. You yeah. know, that's my that's that's my forte is make it as hard as you want it. Don't require me to be super fast and I'll keep going. Probably the hardest part about Hell Week to be honest with you is running everywhere with those stupid boats on your head. Mm. Um I mean that crap is rough and you know, I'm not a big dude. And th- those boats are heavy. Those IBSs are heavy. And for people who have been living under a rock their whole lives and have never seen that it's it's a big inflatable boat and all of you guys carry it several guys carry it together yeah a boat crew and and like you carry it with your arms with your shoulders with your head but you just rotate so you don't i mean i'm sure it hurts right you yeah you have to carry it's called an ibs inflatable boat small you have to carry that boat everywhere with you during hell week even over the obstacle course you have to take that boat over the obstacle course. You have to take it everywhere. Um, <laughs> one one day or, or one night early on in Hell Week, there's an evolution called Base Tour. And it starts about dark. And you go all over the base. They, they run you all night long. And it's all night with uh, that boat on your head running. Nothing else. Mm. And they do it early on because if they tried to do it later on, it would be impossible. Yeah. People just physically couldn't do it. So yeah. it breaks you down pretty bad. Um, I remember about day three, maybe maybe day two and a half or something, uh, I remember being at the chow hall where we ate. And I, I was in the leaning rest, which is the push-up position for all you guys. And I remember looking back underneath my armpit and looking back up at the sky from the push-up position. And I, it legit, I can picture it now. It looked like the sky was falling on me, like it was coming down on me. And it freaked me out because I had never hallucinated before. I had never been awake for that long before. Yeah. How long were you awake at this point? Do you remember? That would have been two and a half or three days. Okay. When Maybe you, two and a half days. When you saw the sky yeah. falling. And I walked up and I remember... Like getting finally recovering from push up position and walking up to our corpsman, our doctor that was with us for that part of Hell Week, you know, they had rotating shifts and telling him, like, hey man, I'm freaking seeing some weird stuff. I think the sky was just falling on me. And <laughs> dude, I had no clue. I didn't, nobody told me I was going to hallucinate. So if I stayed awake, no, you knew it was a hallucination, though. It sounds like no, it it, it scared me. Like okay. I thought something was wrong with me medically. Like, yeah, yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know what was going on, and and the dude, the doctor, literally just looks right back at me, stone faced, and says, "Well, do you want to quit?" And it didn't say, "Hey, man, this is normal. You're cool. Carry on." He just looks at me and says, "Do you want to quit?" Like, there's no mercy during this evolution of Hell Week. Um, I remember toward the last day or toward the to, toward the end, it may have been the last day. We were down on down way down the beach at the mud flats, and they're making you do low crawls and just really low intensity stuff because you've been awake for over five days, and it's the last day. And then we we had to take our boats, IBS, we had to take them to the water and paddle back 
down to the main base where Hell Week would eventually be secured. And I remember my buddy, uh, I won't say his name, but he I think he's still in, but he had this bright idea that if it, when we were running with that boat on our head, he had this bright idea that if we let some air out of our boat, <laughs> that it would be, it wouldn't be so hard on our heads. You know what I mean? It would be softer, basically. So we had deflated our boat, basically, to the point that it still had shape, but it was super deflated. And so when we had to finally get get in our boats, which was one of the few times you got to get in the boat during Hell Week and actually paddle the boat, yeah, we get out into the ocean, and our boat is so deflated that every wave that hits us, the boat is just tacos. <laughs> it just freaking collapses on itself. And so we're pissed at this dude, man, because it was his bright idea to let all the freaking air out of the boat. And now it's hard to paddle this thing and it keeps collapsing on us. And how many days had y'all been awake at this point? This was the, I think this was Friday, Friday afternoon. So how many days? We started, you, you go into the tent Sunday night. So however many days that is. So Monday, so, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So five days. You've been awake for that long. Yeah. Um, and so we're, we're doing the best we can with this boat. And then another dude on the boat, I know who it is. Uh, I won't say his name either, but he starts screaming, stop, stop paddling. And we're like, dude, what? It's nighttime, right? No, this would have been daytime. It was daytime. Th yeah. This would have been daytime Friday okay. day. Yeah. Afternoon. Okay. And we're like, what is wrong with you, dude? And he, he was trying to convince us that he was seeing a spike that was sticking up out of the water, a metal spike. <laughs> and he was convinced that we were about to paddle our boat into that spike and uh, pop, your pop boat. our boat. Yeah. I mean, just the craziest crap. He was hallucinating, too. I mean, a lot of... a lot of. Oh, yeah. Everybody, everybody was. Except for David Charbonnet. I don't think he hallucinated at all. But it's just the weirdest thing, man. One night, one night all you do, I think it was the night before that, all we did all night was we had our paddles and we shoveled sand into a pile with our paddles. And you got to figure, man, you got 30-something dudes shoveling sand all night. By, by the early morning hours, we had a dang pile of sand that was massive. Yeah. And we were all huddled around this this massive sand castle, and the instructors would make us get up on top of that thing one by one, and they'd make us tell a joke. And if they thought the joke was funny, we got to stay dry. But if the joke sucked, then we all had to go hit the surf. Everybody. Everybody, the whole class. Yep. And so my joke was, was the old Jerry Clower joke about having the monkey... The, the, the dude that coon hunted that had a monkey that would go up the tree with a revolver and shoot the coon out of the tree. Are you going to tell the joke or is that the joke? I hope that's not the joke. I mean, I told it like a story. I told, I didn't tell, I told it like it was me. Like, I, I, these instructors literally thought I was just a, which I was, a freaking hillbilly. And I'm sitting here and telling these instructors <laughs> a story that when I went coon hunting and I had this freaking monkey that would climb a tree 
and shoot the coon out for us. And they believed me. They thought I was, they didn't think I was telling a joke. They thought I was telling a story. Oh my goodness. And that story actually followed me all the way throughout Bud's because they, 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 they believed that. Did you have to, did everyone get in the water? I, no, no, we got to stay dry on my story. They liked it. Oh, they got a kick out of it. Yeah. I ended up getting in trouble for that story in third phase though, because there was an instructor there in third phase that had heard Jerry Clower's version of that story. <laughs> so he called me out and was like, dude, th- this is not real. I, you're, you're freaking, that's Jerry Clower. And yeah, I got, I got hammered for that. Good. But for my entire career in Buds, the, the instructors thought that was like le- legit, right? Anyways, yeah. Hell Week secured. They pull our mattresses on the floor. You go in there. And you just collapse, man, and it's some of the worst sleep you've had in your life. Worst sleep? Oh, yeah, because your body hurts so bad. Your body hurts so bad, it's beyond belief. You can, I mean, you can only, you're, you sleep like 30 minutes at a time. And then you just wake up hurting? Yeah, I mean, you just wake up in pain and, you know. How long did they give you after Hell Week was secured to sleep before you started working again? Saturday, Sunday. So, okay, the weekend. Yeah, they it. give you the weekend, and then starting on Monday is, uh, they call it walk week. Mm-hmm. So, you usually in Buds, you have to run everywhere you go, but for that week after Hell Week, um, they allowed you to walk, you know, to chow, to the classroom, whatever. And we started learning hydro recon, which is a, a very difficult skill, and it's basically mapping the the ocean floor, and then... Going out, you have a little piece of lead on a string, and you take soundings. You're just treading water, and you drop that lead to the bottom, and you've got knots tied in the string. So you figure out how deep the water is, and you just plot out a whole grid of an area of the ocean floor. You write it all down, then you come back, and you actually have a piece of grid paper, and you can plot. You can actually map the ocean floor out. Don't we have like sonar for this? Oh yeah, now? yeah. But they this is how they did it back in World War II. Okay. So they're teaching us. They were teaching us the the old school way to do it, right? Okay. With with zero technology. It, you would think that after being awake for over five days, the first thing that they have you guys do would be mindless. Not have you try to learn a new skill. I mean, your brain had to be fried. So they they call that hydro hell week. Because it, it is, it's a very intense week, yeah. and they do that on purpose because it's not physically demanding, but it's very, very mentally demanding. When yeah. you map, when you map these charts out, <clears throat> they have to be perfect. Like if you if you make one little line that's off, you can't erase. I mean, you could erase, but they won't accept it. Mm-hmm. So when you map this thing out, it's got to be perfect. And you're talking about to once you take your soundings and you 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 get your chart paper and you're mapping it out it's a grid paper you're talking like all night it would take you you'd get your soundings in the day it would take you all night to map it and if you made one little screw up you had to restart the whole thing yeah so that was called hydro hell week and yeah it's pretty miserable a lot of guys that's where a lot of guys started dipping snuff. It's during Hydro Hell Week, coffee I, and snuff. I remember you guys saying um, 
I think it might have been with Aaron and possibly no David didn't dip, did he? No, I don't think David ever dipped. I remember y'all talking about burying stuff in the sand. You buried Snickers bars mm. in Copenhagen. Before Hell Week, I had went to the I went over to the gate that opened up and went out to the beach. So it went from the compound where we were in the tents. There's a big gate that goes out onto the beach. And I had went over there and I had buried three or four cans of snuff right by the pole on that gate. And uh, when we would come in to the compound during Hell Week and we'd be doing medical checks, I'd go over and dig up one of my cans of snuff and I'd get me a dip of snuff. And you weren't supposed to do that because you're not supposed to be putting anything in your body during Hell Week that could mess it up. Yeah. You know, they didn't I mean, even put any sense. salt or seasoning on our food the whole time. To just not mess with your electrolytes or mm -hmm. anything like that. Exactly, yeah. <clears throat> they did They did feed us salt water. They had cups of salt water. I mean, it's nasty, dude. Ugh. Oh, it was rough. And you never knew. what You'd go just run over to the table and get a cup of it and throw it back. And if it was that salt water, you know, it was just not good. But hard times, man. There's nothing, there's nothing that can compare to it. I mean, that I've experienced in life. I'm sure, I'm sure others have experienced harder things. I mean, there's, you, you look at some of these cats that have, you know, survived Nazi death camps and been prisoners of war for years and years. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's a whole nother level. Mm -hmm. But as far as what I've experienced in life, it nothing even comes close to it. If you go, if you win any harder, you, you you would die. Yeah. And they've got it figured out to a science, you know. Well, and I remember <clears throat> you'll you can probably clarify what phase where you were at. I think it was SQT. There was um two guys when y'all were running on the beach that overheated. No, that was that mm. was a dude that was during first phase, one of, before Hell Week. We had to, we had these telephone poles. We did log PT. Mm -hmm. Well, one day we had to take these telephone poles and walk and lunge the telephone pole in the front carry position mm. for four miles. Mm -hmm. And it was hot that day. And this was in full BDU, so full uniform, the old school, you know, camis, bottoms and top, walk and lunge, four miles, soft sand. Fully exposed, and yeah, he overheated. I think he ran, I think he ran a temperature up like 109 degrees or something, and fried his brain. Yeah, he had. I mean, he was permanently brain damaged. It was a big deal. I remember. Mm -hmm. I remember. I don't. Was I out there then? I didn't come out there till. No. Yeah, that would have been in buds. Yeah, you yeah. weren't out. You never came out for buds. I, I remember hearing about that and just being like, "Whoa." Yeah. You know, it just. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, guys get hurt left and right. Guys fall off the O course. They, you know, you got rock portage where you're bringing, you're, you're paddling that IBS on, in onto these massive boulders on the beach with 10 foot surf, you know, blowing over you. Yeah. And guys are just getting crushed in between the boat and the rock. And I mean, but breaking bones and bruising ribs and stuff, but frying your brain mm -hmm. was like a whole, it was like a different level, mm -hmm. you know? Oh, and, and on the opposite spectrum of that, I remember a dude, we had a dude 
in uh, third phase, <laughs> he got in trouble for something, and they put him, they put him in a metal bathtub full of ice water, and they forgot about him, and he stayed in that thing. And when they finally remembered he was in there, and told him he could come out, he couldn't get, he couldn't move. He was frozen. Like he couldn't stand. We had to lift him out of it. And like emer- and it was an emergency. We had to warm him up quick. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's crazy, man. Sounds like a tough guy. Oh, he was a hard dude. He was just gonna sit in there until he was someone- he was dumb as a rock. He was a hard dude though. Dang. It takes a special type of person. And this is something I was thinking about today. We was laying in there taking a nap and I was thinking back through some of this old stuff and you know, it, it's weird to think, but a lot of the guys, a lot of the guys that I that I knew, that I met, even, you know, going into the early phases of BUDS, or even back when I was in that holding unit, they were getting ready to go to BUDS. If they, none of the normal people made it. Define normal. By, by normal, I mean just, just people that. I guess that's a good. I guess that's a good question. Define normal. I mean, to me, I know what it means. Like just your 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 average kind of calm. You know, just calm, just level headed. Just um, you know, maybe it's like every every. They weren't a little. They off. weren't. They weren't quirky. Okay. Yeah, they okay. weren't quirky. They weren't a little off. They were just. You know, I, I guess that's my a nor, not a, not even a normal, but a, just a normal personality. You know. Mm-hmm. That there wasn't something that you could point out in them and be like, that joker's freaking, something's off with that dude, man. Yeah. Like, you know, not not that he's a bad person. It's just, you know, everyone I know that made it had something a little off with them. Yeah. And including me. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. So, it, yeah, every, and that's what I think makes the SEAL team so unique is you've got you've got this massive bunch of alpha males and every one of them have some unique something about them. Definitely. And that's why they're there. A lot of very very strong personalities. Exactly. Really strong personalities. Yeah. But all very different too. Oh I mean, yeah, yeah, a lot of yeah, I mean everybody's little quirkiness is a little different. And uh there's a lot of short guys that are seals. Mm-hmm. Like people have this image of like this big, tall, just stupid, handsome, buff guy. And like a lot of the guys are little. And I think it's because a lot of the endurance stuff is a lot easier for them, right? Well, yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. I just noticed that a lot. I was like, what? Yeah. And in Hell Week, that reminds me in Hell Week, there's a boat crew called the Smurf Crew. <laughs> and it's all the shortest guys because the boat crews are assigned by height because when you're running with this everywhere with this boat on your head you can't have two or three tall dudes and a bunch of short dudes because the tall dudes are just going to get freaking hammered into the ground yeah you know so you got the smurf crew all the little short guys and and that's how uh chad lost his hair he's not balding he just has a callus from that boat, permanent callus. That's why he's missing his hair up there. I think mom has my hat from Hell Week 
at home and it's it's literally it's a canvas BDU hat and it's got a hole worn in the top of the canvas from running with that boat on your head yeah um so it was it's crazy man I I do remember this is one odd story I've never told before but I remember in in one of my in a boat crew that I was in we had a really cocky officer he was uh he was very, very fit. The fastest runner. This one of the strongest dudes in the class. And I remember running, and I was in the number, I want to say number two spot, so center of the boat, which is the hardest spot to be in. And for for I don't know what I was doing. I don't know if it, they call it if you're running with that boat on your head. If you you can you can actually you see it and the instructors will point it out. You can actually kind of sh- make yourself a little smaller and take some of the weight all, off your head. You know what I mean? So we were always watching each other to see who was doing that. We were the instructors would point it out, right? Well, for some reason this officer I had just got in this boat crew, so I was brand new. This dude was cocky as crap. He didn't like me college dude he thought i was a freaking dumb redneck and immediately he attacks me and tells me that i'm freaking ducking boat and i don't need to be in his boat crew and this and that and uh i remember he grabbed the back of my bdu and i guess he thought that i was going to cower to him because he thought that i was just a freaking dumb redneck right and i remember turning around and grabbing this dude back by the freaking collars of his BDUs and just freaking lashing him, son. Um, what is lashing? Just like, just like cursing him viciously. Oh, okay. Like, like just like, hey, dude, you, you know, with a lot of colorful words, don't ever freaking touch me. Like, don't ever do that. And I just remember seeing a look on that dude's face, like, dang, I didn't expect that. <laughs> and he never said another word to me. Would you just would you get kicked out if you fought? If people got in a fight, um, so they get kicked out. It 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 really depends. I mean, no, I, I wouldn't say so. I mean, I, I remember a time. I remember a time in in it, there were multiple times guys would kind of get in scuffles and. You know, if it was unjustified or if it continued to happen. Or someone was being malicious and targeting somebody. Yeah, something yeah. like that. But I remember a time in third phase, we were we were loading mags on the island, San Clemente Island, and one of, one of the dudes said something to me that I didn't like, and he was sitting on an ammo can, and I just remember freaking drop-kicking him in the chest straight up, straight off the ammo can. And um, so we would fight. Jeez. Yeah, we'd get pissed at each other. We'd fight, and you know, I, I, you know, everybody has their day where they've got a they they've got a bad attitude and they don't want to be messed with, you know. And so I had my days like that. Yeah. But Hell Week was secured. Hydro Hell Week, second phase was dive phase. Yeah. Pool comp was the hardest part of dive phase. Where you crawl across the bottom of the pool with these twin 80s on your back, open circuit dive rig. Instructor comes down on top of you. You've got to look down at the floor. You're crawling on your hands and knees at 15 foot deep. He comes down on top of you, rips your 
regulator out of your mouth so you lose your air. It jostles you all around, ties knots in your hoses leading from the tanks to the regulator, punches you in the ribs, just messes you up, and you got to fix your mess. Stay calm. Get your air back on. Or what will happen is he keeps doing this, right? He keeps doing this, and you're fixing it. You fix it, and then you start crawling again. He hits you again. All right, and then eventually, he gives you a problem that you can't fix. It's called the whammy knot. He'll tie a knot in your air hoses that you can't fix. Well, it's discretionary, right? So if you feel it and you say, this is unfixable, well, it's up to him, really. And, and you ascend without fixing it because you deem it unfixable. You might get to the top. And the instructor said, what did you come up for? That was fixable. So pool comp is the last, really the last place in BUDS where the instructors have complete control over who they weed out because it's totally discretionary who they allow to pass. See, the SEAL teams is just a big fraternity. They, if they don't like you, I don't care how well you perform. I don't care how good you are, how strong you are. If they don't like you, there are things built into that training where they can make you go away. And did you notice some themes like certain types of people the instructors didn't like or if they talked back or like what did you see that made some an instructor not like somebody? A lot of times I think they didn't like the guys that tried to stand out. Um, was me, you know, I, I never stood out in buds. I don't think I don't think anybody really even knew my name until I got to third phase and there was only a few of us left. Yeah. Um, so that helped me tremendously. I don't think they liked the guys that always tried to finish first that were, you know, cocky, um, flashy. They didn't like any of that. Mm -hmm. And some, I think some of the guys, they just didn't like the way they looked. Okay. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, you'll see, I'm not saying that everybody in the SEAL teams is supermodels. I mean, look at me. But most of the dudes you see in the SEAL teams are, are well-built, good-looking dudes. I mean, depending on what your taste is, uh, they they don't look like dweebs. <laughs> you know, they just don't have that look. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's a reality. And now, I don't know how it is now, you know, but back then, you know, they didn't like the way you looked. Pool comp was one of those times where they were going to weed you out if they wanted you out. And um, you had three tries to get it. I passed on my third try. So that was a pretty stressful time for me because I knew on that third try, if I didn't pass, that was it. But, um, but I passed and then you just, you just go, then you go into closed circuit diving with the dragger. You do two dives a day for four or five weeks out in the bay, ship attacks, um, OTBs, all that over the beach. I got to pee. Go ahead, boo. You good to take a break? Yeah. What's up, guys? This episode is brought to you by Salty Britches. I hope you've heard me talking about Salty Britches. It's the number one anti-chafing cream on the market, period. I use it for all of my ultra marathons. Any race, any run that I'm doing over 50 miles, I put a thin layer of Salty Britches on my feet pull my sock up over the top, and I'm good to go. One application 
of salty britches has kept me comfortable, blister-free, chafe-free for over 100 miles of continuous running in the Georgia heat. One application, yeah. And I apply this stuff to any hot spot on my body that would normally chafe or blister or whatever it may be. It's a game changer. I got enough. I got my feel of chafing and seal training. Yeah, it sucks. I don't enjoy it, which is why I'm so passionate about Salty Britches. Also, this stuff is made in America. The owner of Salty Britches, Amy, is an amazing human being that really has poured her heart and soul into making the best product that can possibly be made, and she has achieved that. Look, buy some Salty Britches, throw some in your running box, throw some in your everyday carry bag, throw some in your backpack, and when you need it, you're going to be really glad you have it. Order yours at GetSaltyBritches.com. Use pro code 3 of 7, the number 3, lowercase, O-F, the number 7, for 20% off your purchase from Salty Britches. Follow them on Instagram at GetSaltyBritches. Hey, we love you, Salty Britches. Thanks for being there when we need you. Thanks for sponsoring this episode of the 3 of 7 podcast. All right, we're back. And Biscuit, don't worry. We'll get we'll get to more of our stuff. Oh, don't. Uh-uh. Do not <laughs> do not get on and say this. Well, you know, and and you guys that are listening are probably thinking the same thing like where's where are we going to talk about Chad and Brooke? You know what I mean? This is the story of my life. Well, and, and this is the thing though. <laughs> like back going through buds and stuff, even though we were boyfriend and girlfriend, right? I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. You know what my focus was. Totally. Yeah, my focus was, so if we're going to go, if you guys, if we're going to give you the the full context of the story, um, once we get into kind of the latter part, the latter parts of this episode, even next episode, Brooke comes back into the picture because she moves back out. She moves out to San Diego with me. Mm -hmm. But well, and I think I I just was just making a comment and in my mind I'm like it's false advertising because we said this episode was going to be about our relationship. But really we're breaking it down um and giving you Chad's full experience in the Navy. I mean, that's not a bad thing. Some people want to hear that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's cool just because I've never been able to talk. talk. You, I can't go on somebody else's podcast and tell these stories and take freaking <laughs> five hours. Talk about uh, old Tony who drove the skits there. He yeah. was over there in the corner eating Twinkies. Yeah, man. And my friend Aaron and my friend Kyle and my friend Butch. And <laughs> that's the great thing about having your own podcast is it's... Uh, it's like an audio book, you know? I mean, yeah. Just things, y'all, if you're not into Navy stuff and all this really cool stuff, that he, that really is cool that he's talking about. I mean, we will get into the weeds and juicy stuff of, you know, our struggles and where all this wound up later. Yeah, but, there's plenty of that. I well, mean, this may be, this may be, we may do 10 episodes of this. I have a feeling we are going to at this rate. Yeah. It feels. I think we're going to do more than ten well, of this. Right? We're. I mean, that's perfect. We. I plan on having a podcast from from now until podcasts go away. Oh my word! <laughs> so that's perfect. But 
I guess pick up where we left off. Yeah. I talked about second phase. One of the things that happened is after pool comp, after we graduated and we started the combat diving portion of second phase, they rolled a bunch of people that had been rolled from other classes. They rolled them into our class. So our class had dwindled, 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 right? From, All the, from he, what to what? I, I don't know what Roughly. Our, our numbers after pool comp were probably in the 30s. What did you start with? 300. Okay. We had a big class. Have you ever thought it was weird that I grew up off of Highway 278 and my bud's class was 278? Never even gave thought to it, but now that you say that, it is weird. Is that not weird? It is very weird. I don't know what to take. I don't know what to say about that. I bet. Wait, when did you find out your buzz class? When they handed you the the paper? No. Uh, Well, yeah, I guess so. But even then, no, even then when we got our orders from pre-buds to go out to San Diego. Yeah. You still didn't know if you were going to have some some sort of, you didn't know if the class was going to be full when you got there. Mm-hmm. And you might have to be one of the scruffs for oh, a little while. A little scruff. Yeah. So when did you figure out your class number was 278? Uh, it would have been shortly after I checked into Bud's. Did you think, oh man, this is destiny. I'm all... No, heck no. No? I had ne- it's never, literally never crossed my mind until we've started doing these episodes which is why i'm so thankful we're doing these yeah is because it just things you know things come out that that i've never thought of or things that i've forgotten well and i can tell you're enjoying it just watching your face and looking looking at you recalling all this stuff that's the only reason i'm letting him talk so much y'all is because it's making him happy <laughs> so sorry well um, normally i'd rein it in but yeah yeah you really would but i'm letting it go you're asking great questions too thanks boo yeah you're bringing things out you know i didn't even know what to say about first phase and now here we've been talking about first phase for 45 minutes yeah so that's pretty that's really cool um but yeah they rolled all these guys into our class and for some reason, that aggravated the crap out of me because I felt like. And, and let me, layman's terms, these guys had been in a previous class and had twisted an ankle, broke a limb, got the flu. Or performance roll, didn't pass a standard. Okay, I mean, so that was a thing. That that was a thing. Um, but, you know, a lot of them were injuries. A lot of them were things that were out of their control per se. So they get they get put on hold as a scruff, I'm guessing. Yeah. And then they just waited out to insert into the next class at the exact same time that they left. Exactly. And they got injured. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So because new- most guys that that would that most guys get injured during <laughs> hell week or first phase and they'll let that student progress all the way to pool comp with that injury. Mm-hmm. And then if they pass pool comp, then they'll put them as a scruff, let them heal. And then let them roll in. To me, wouldn't be unfair because they've had downtime. I mean, you guys have just been balls to the wall the whole time. It it drove me crazy, man. And and different people have different perspectives on this. And there's a lot of awesome SEAL operators out there that were rolled. Yeah. I mean, a lot of them. Uh, You know, it's it's actually the minority is is people that classed up and graduated with the class that they 
started with. Mm-hmm. That's a vast minority. So by no means am I saying they were bad guys, but I'm not saying that my mindset was right. I'm just saying that it it really bothered me. It bothered me for a few reasons. It bothers me because, like you said, yeah, they had a freaking vacation. And here we're freaking grinding, right? And and I was so, I had so much invested in being there. Maybe that's why it bothered me so much more than it bothered other people. Because it was like, man, look at, and I'm not saying look at me, but in my mind, I'm like, it. do you realize what it took for me to get here? And I, ain't, I not that I wanted a vacation, but you shouldn't get a second chance, man. Mm-hmm. You know, and but you got a second chance. Well, I, I never got to toe the line. I never got yeah. to be at. I never got to be at SEAL training. Like, you're right. You're right. They got to show up, and and you know, in my mind, even still to this day, in my mind, it's like, man, if you got injured, I'm sorry. You know, uh, and there's people out there that brag about. The fact that they've been through hell week three or four times, and I'm like, that that that's actually not a good thing, because you should have trained harder. I mean, you should have you should have showed up ready to rock and roll instead of showing up half cocked, and you know your body failing you halfway through training. Now I need I need you guys to listen to what Biscuit's saying, and just realize that I have to live with this. And this is this mentality that he still carries is what we have to measure up to as his family and friends. You got uh, injured. That's your own dang fault. <laughs> you must have not been running enough, Joe. Hey, I mean that's why you broke your ankle. It's uh, it is it is a form of extreme ownership of your <clears throat> of your fate, and you know that's that right or wrong. That's where my mindset is. So. That caused that resentment toward those class members, though, because it, like, more than doubled the size of our class. So at that point, when they rolled all these cats in, the majority of the class were rollbacks. And so that caused me a lot of strife going going through SEAL training. I mean, at least through third phase especially. On third, once you graduate second phase which is just a, a freaking collage of miserable dives, most of them at night. It's the first time I'd ever seen bioluminescence. That yeah. freaked me out a little bit. Um, they You go, you spend a couple weeks doing land nav, and that was good time, sleeping out under the stars in a sleeping bag, land naving all day. And um, then you go out to San Clemente Island. They call it the rock. And that's where you learn the basics of land warfare and also maritime operations. But you're actually learning operational stuff. That's the first time you get a rifle. You're shooting live rounds. You're doing patrols. You're doing, you know, they, you know, land, serious land nav. You're actually <laughs> conducting raids and, you know, low-level stuff. But um, San Clemente Island is the island that uh, I saw on TV one time. It's like a great white shark habitat because there's so many seals around there. And then they put you guys in the water in black wetsuits swimming all hours of the day and night. Oh, yeah. And I remember asking you that, like, because I love sharks. And I remember being like, dang, Biscuit, were you scared? Oh, 
they make you put on they make you watch a video of shark attacks and then they send you out for a <laughs> night swim and like a like a graphic video of shark yeah, attacks. yeah oh yeah and they send you out for a night swim in in these kelp beds so you know you're getting all no. tangled up in kelp and Dude, there's seals are everywhere out there. They're swimming up to you, like right. They're bumping into you, and you can't see, so you don't know that it's a seal. Oh yeah, no, it's just black of night. Oh and, no, and thank like, you. um, yeah, that was some crazy water out there, man. The surf out there is is massive. I mean, I remember being on one of my first OTB over the beach operations where you swim in over the beach and conduct a land warfare op. Um, and I remember standing in like chest deep water and I'm, you know, I, I've towed this massive rucksack that's got all my gear in it. It's towing behind me. So I finally get to where I can touch and <laughs> I'm pulling my rucksack to me and I'm getting ready to put it on my back. And I realize the water is ankle deep. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, what? And I happen to look behind me, and there's just a wall of water coming at me that uh, it blots out the whole horizon. All you can see is this massive, whatever it is, 10, 12-foot surf. First time I'd ever really seen waves like that, you know? Yeah. And um, it just smashes you. And, you know, the first couple OTBs you do as a, as a class the beach just looks like a yard sale because guys don't know how to deal with that surf and you're trying to come over the beach with all this gear and you're just getting pummeled and uh but there is a strategy to not getting pummeled and yeah. swells like that yeah well, i mean once you learn how to once you learn how to duck those waves and how to get to a place where you can actually and, and what you actually end up doing is you actually end up just riding those waves all the way into the beach before you stand up. Okay. And when you stand up, you're actually in like in like ankle deep water. So you you just float all the way up onto the beach. I haven't heard OTV since we lived in Virginia Beach. And you saying that and talking about it like brings back a lot of memories. Yeah. Cuz you guys, I mean, a lot of evenings during when you were at a training or when you were doing your workup, y'all were doing OTVs all afternoon and evening. Oh, yeah. And then you had to do your one nighttime OTV and then you could come home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, OTV is a big part of being a maritime operator. Um, but out on the island, you were stuck out there with the instructor cadre. And there wasn't any big bosses out there. It was just you, it was the class and the instructors. So they had a they have a, a a shack out there that they all live in. It's their office. It's called the Hellbox, and it's like five hundred yards from our barracks. So, you know, you couldn't get away from these cats, and they're just freaking. There were these dip tanks everywhere, big tanks filled with water. You stayed wet all the time. Every day before you ate, you had before every meal you had a chow PT which consisted of either a beat down, a trip up Frog Hill, which is a really steep hill back behind the barracks, or a trip up Al Huey Hill, which is a race up Al Huey. Um, and a beat down is, is like 
like earlier you used the example when you said beat down of like holding a brick above your head and treading water. What was a beat down on nylon? Or I'm sorry, not nylon. Um, San Clemente. Eight, eight count bodybuilders, freaking push ups, um, Smurf jacks. Okay. Like just just miserable, miserable exercises that are terrible for your joints and just make you feel terrible. Okay. It, and that's all it is. Um, we did we did flights. They had these big. It, you know what a pallet is? A wood pallet. No, I don't okay. know what a wood pallet well, is. Well, a pallet. They had pallets, but they were made out of out of metal, steel, steel mesh, and they were big, big pallets, and super heavy. And they'd make us put those pallets on our back and carry them all the way up top of Frog Hill, and then you'd have to run down Frog Hill with that big metal pallet on your back, just the just the grates just grinding into the top of your spine. And as you came down, they would make you act like an airplane and make you like come out like you were coming over a radio and request permission to land and <laughs> do all these maneuvers and all this. So, so it's just humiliating. Oh, yeah, just to humiliate you. So that was flights. Um, they had camp surf uh, anytime the class was late for anything, which they would give you timelines on the island that were impossible to make. So, you know, you might have to go from one place to another place and it be a mile away and they tell you to be there in five minutes and you don't have any of the gear you need and you got to get there. Like they were, uh, they, they did that just to stress you out and see how you'd react to it. That's okay. You just answered my question. I was about to ask some of these things that they do. Do you see a purpose in the training? But there it is. Yeah. It's just to be constantly under pressure and stress and learning to perform. That's it, right? Well, yeah. Are you going to quit trying? Yeah. Like uh, if I give you a timeline that's obviously you can't you can't meet the timeline, are you just going to quit or are you actually going to keep trying? Yeah. And that's what they wanted to see you do. Yeah. But, you know, when you'd miss these timelines at the end of the day, they would uh they'd send you down to the beach and you'd sleep You'd sleep in the sand with um, no no shelter, nothing. You'd be laying on the beach, and every hour on the hour, they'd come out of the hellbox and shoot a flare into the air, a big light illuminating flare, and uh, come over the megaphone, and everybody would have to get up and run down, hit the surf, which means get totally wet in that freaking freezing cold water, <laughs> and then you could come back up and lay in your little sand hole for another 45 minutes or so. You were cold, though. Oh, you're freezing. You're freezing cold. So and you're not sleeping. No, you're not sleeping. And this was all night. Camp surf. This was all night. Every hour on the hour, hit the surf. Ugh. Come back, lay in the sand. And um, that was camp surf. And then you got to get up the next morning and train. You know, like you got to get up and learn. Just like you had a night of sleep. Yeah. Um. I remember waking up in the barracks out there, blaring Taylor Swift. It was when Taylor Swift had just, well, I guess, was starting to get popular. It was before she went, I remember this. It was mm -hmm. before she was pop, and all her songs were country, and they were about boys and breaking up. Oh, and, we love Taylor Swift, yeah. Yeah. So that was uh, that was played quite often in the barracks out there. That's funny. Um, learned demo. You know, you learned a lot of stuff. Learned how to, you know, 
plant haversacks on obstacles, underwater knot tying, all yeah, that. Yeah, because we know, we all know exactly what that is. A haversack is just a big sack of explosives that you would plant. You swim out. So during World War II, they would put obstacles in the water, um, <clears throat> big concrete blocks, basically. And when the landing craft w- was approaching the shore to drop troops, the landing craft would get hung up on the obstacle. So they would, you know, they'd be in whatever, 10 foot deep water or whatever. And so that's what, that's how the SEALs, the UDT guys, that's how they originated. Uh, Their purpose was to go out and to clear the beach of these obstacles. So the landing craft could come in and drop troops. So we still learn that. You, You swim out and you have a big thing of explosives and a bunch of deck cord and you have to swim down, um, strap the explosive to the obstacle, and then you have to tie your, your deck cord into it and link them all together. And then you come back up on the beach and set it off, and you blow all the obstacles up. I think I got a picture of that, these massive yeah. water columns coming up out of the ocean. You do. Where we had set those charges off. Um, but, yeah, the third phase – Tempers flared out there, but even between students, uh, there was cactus on that island like I never seen in my life. It'd go right through your boot. Oh. So you'd be out on nighttime patrols. They didn't give us nods, which means no night vision. You're just walking through the dark, trying to navigate to a target, um, and just covered in freaking cactus. And then they would contact you, so you'd have to get down on the ground wherever you were and fire back and you know if you were lucky you wouldn't lay down on one of these massive cactuses and just get covered in cactus <laughs> if you were lucky so if you can rem- if you can imagine trying to do a a uh, contact drill where you're getting up and down up and down in a field full of cactus that's what every night was like on the island yeah that sucks yeah, I think that I think that third phase was probably harder than first phase, to be honest with you. Even with Hell Week, even with Hell Week, yeah, I think it was harder. I really do. It was it was intense. And what comes after third phase? That's it. Third phase. Once you once you get down, once you get done at the island, I've got a picture. Once you finish up, uh, once you finish up. The last day at the island, you uh, the instructors invite you into the um, onto the back porch of the hell box, and they take all of the crates that the ammo came in. We because while you're out there, you shoot thousands and thousands of rounds, and so all the ammo crates, the wooden crates, they they bit, you pile them all up, and you just have a massive bonfire. And they got they got a couple kegs of beer out there, and the beer is just old. The beer <laughs> is months old. It's stale. It's nasty as crap. But you haven't had a beer in you know in months. You've been stuck out on this island. The cooks would sneak us in dip. Nice. The cooks there would would we would buy dip from the cook on the island, but um, yeah, you go back there and have a bonfire. There's actually a picture of me. And David Charbonnet and I think Dorsey 
I've got it. I don't know if I've ever posted it, but we're sitting there, and that's what that is. That's that party, the last day at third phase, and we've got our canteen cups, and each student would get two canteen cups of beer, <laughs> and a canteen cup is just the old tin metal cup, and of course, that was enough to make you pretty drunk. Yeah, I you bet. Know, old stale beer out of a keg, and you haven't had any alcohol in no telling how long. Yeah, you're probably half dehydrated and hungry. Oh, yeah. Did y'all stay hungry? No, we ate pretty good. Yeah, we ate pretty good out on the island. I mean, the what about chow, chow wasn't bad. the entire experience for Mm-mm. a second? They fed us good. I, did. I think that's the big difference between like SEAL training and like ranger school or something. Yeah. You know, they starve those guys, whereas us, they just push us really, really hard physically yeah. and they know they have to feed us. Yeah. Um, to keep us going on that, on that level. Um, but yeah, you had that party and, and you pack everything up and, you leave a gift out on the island. Every class leaves a gift. We left a big um, a big statue of Captain Morgan, like a 10-foot tall. I remember the picture of all of you guys around it in I, front of the helicopter. Yeah, there is a picture. Yeah. yeah. We had, uh, while we were on the island, we had a treat. We had the, the 160th, which is the Special Forces Army Unit, a Special Forces Helicopter Unit. They're the best pilots in the world. They flew out there because they had to do some training calls, and uh, we had them out there for a day, and it was like a treat. We got to cast out of the helicopter, so the helicopter's going, and he drops down to 15 or 20 feet off the surface of the ocean, and you get to jump out of the helicopter into the water and uh, swim into the beach, so we got to do casting with them. That's that where those pictures like were taken. Yeah. yeah, We've actually got a picture of the four horsemen sitting on one of those MH-60s, I remember um, that yeah. picture. Yeah. 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 I'm pretty sure that's actually um, in the picture books I have. We made you. Yeah. There's a picture of me and uh, me and Scotty. Um, I won't say his last name. You know my swim buddy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, me and Scotty, there's a picture of us standing by this old statue of a frog the morning after that party uh on the last day and do we we you were hung over i bet after drinking those two canteen cups of that bad beer yeah and man i remember just feeling like freaking butthole that day and in my hand is a little case and it's a camera case and i had bought a little digital camera and that's where all those pictures came from i remember wasn't it red yeah no i bought it for you okay yeah me and mom and dad went um black friday to walmart and got it for you before you left i actually think i might have mailed it out there but i remember getting you that camera that's funny you were thinking about pictures even back then yeah yeah that's funny (laughs) that is a good point yep that's what that was so that's why we have a few pictures from from out there not very many but um yeah and then you get back to san diego and you you graduate buds and graduating buds is it's nothing special really it's you you can't have any family members no like no outsiders it's just you and your classmates and you don't get your trident when you graduate buds so nothing really changes um it's a small ceremony right there on the grinder 
the grinder at Bud's is where you get PT'd in first phase and also in second phase. And it's a, it's a very, it's a iconic asphalt, um, almost the size of a parking lot. And it has painted on the parking on, on the asphalt. It has these two fins flippers, um, there, you know, in, in rows. So fins, fins, and, and that's what you stand on, on the grinder. So that's where the graduation ceremony is, and nothing really changes. You just move on to SQT and SEAL qualification. SEAL qualification training. And, you know, I think we'll pick back up on that on the next episode. Because one thing that does change is you do at least uh, back then, you don't get to anymore, but back then, once you graduated BUDS, you started getting what's called BAH, basic housing allowance. Mm-hmm. So you no longer had to live in the barracks. You could go out in town and get an apartment with a bunch of crazy buddies Yep. and live in a little bedroom. With a python and <laughs> smoke cigarettes in the apartment. <laughs> <laughs> Freaking just, just, chur- oh, Lord. Bust holes in the shower. and Yeah. Um, Survive earthquakes. Yeah. So that's that. We'll pick up on that on the next episode. That's where Brooke comes back into uh, the picture in a big way. Is she moves back out with me in SQT, and I'm sure she has plenty of memories of that and stories and how yeah. she felt. And uh, we'll we'll walk through that portion yeah. of our journey on I the next episode. Definitely got some stories of you coming back from Sear School and. Yeah. I I can't wait to hear those. Oh, yeah. They're good. (laughs) Well, thank you, baby. You're welcome. All right, guys. Got anything else? No, I'm good. I'm I'm sorry I didn't ring you in, but like I said, you were just having so much fun. I had to let you talk. Hey, if nobody listens to this, it's worth it just for me to be able to tell the story. (laughs) No, it's awesome. People will love it. All right, guys, this is a 3 of 7 podcast. Enough said. Thank you all.